So one of our goals in the book of Ephesians, one of our goals is I want us to get a God-centered view of everything in our life. So sometimes we can have a self-centered view of everything from marriage to anger to our salvation. Everything, we can have a very selfish view of that. We can think that the world really revolves around our story instead of the story of Jesus. We sometimes, without even knowing it, think we are the center of creation. We are the center of the universe. So what we try to do is lay everything out in our life around ourselves instead of seeing how God has designed things and walking in his redemptive plan and in his redemptive story. When we start to have a God-centered view on things, our lives start to change. We become more fruitful and effective, and we glorify God, and we become ultimately satisfied. We're, you know, all of us want to be happy, right? All of us want to be joyful. And I say this constantly because I want us to hear this in a very narcissistic culture. You are the happiest when you're walking in the way God has designed you to walk. You're the happiest when you're worshiping God, when he's the center of your life, when your main goal is to glorify him. And in our marriages, we're happiest when we're functioning in the way God has created us to function as husband and wife. And our foundation and the goal is to bring the glory to God. So I got to do, we've had a few weddings now. And I guess my goal is, since Restoration Road started, my goal is that every marriage that I perform the ceremony, I want them to stay together for all eternity. That's my goal. I want to bat a thousand. I don't know if it's realistic, but I want to bat a thousand. And so what we do is we do some um, foundation pre, foundational premarital classes um, where we really talk about the gospel. We really talk about communication. We talk about children. We talk about money. We talk about all these kind of things. And I had the privilege of um, doing the ceremony of Ryan and Jamie. They're not here today, but I had the privilege of doing that ceremony. And so they did something very unique during the ceremony. Anyone heard of a unity cross? What a unity cross. I never did it before, and I got nervous because I hate change. So anything new, I'm like, hold up. Let's talk through this. And so the unity cross is... They got an outer shell. This outer shell is masculine. This outer shell protects. This outer shell um, just is supposed to symbolize masculinity. Then they have this beautiful kind of design that goes inside the cross that's supposed to represent womanhood and femininity and all those kind of things. And then you get three pegs, and the husband and the wife take one peg, and the pastor takes the other peg, and then it joins the cross together. What they're trying to say is through my masculinity, through my womanhood, and through the grace of God who's coming into this union, we want people to look at our marriage, and we want them to see the gospel of Jesus Christ. Kind of like a flag. When you think about a flag, right? A flag is supposed to point to something greater. Why do we get upset when someone burns a flag? Why do we get upset when someone steps on a flag? We get upset because of what it represents. It represents sacrifice and what people died for and freedom and equality and justice and those kind of things. The flag is pointing to something greater. Marriage is pointing to something greater. It is one of the greatest evangelistic tools that you have. Now, people use many things to describe marriage in this culture that, be honest, doesn't love the marriage the way I would say it should. Yes, how's your marriage? Horrible. It's garbage. Some people say my marriage is garbage. Like, so you want your marriage to point to garbage. That's what you want people to think about when you think about your marriage? You want to think it's horrible? What do people say? I feel like I'm chained up. I feel like it's a cage. 
Those are all sinful responses to what marriage should be. If we're going to marriage thinking it's a cage, how much chance does that have to succeeding? I'm going to get in the cage for the next 60 years of my life. I can't wait. Let's get down the aisle. Let's do this. Like, uh, no. Marriage is supposed to bring freedom. Marriage is supposed to bring love. Marriage is supposed to point to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Marriage is the most fulfilling, one of the most fulfilling relationships on earth. It's meant to mirror the gospel. That's powerful. So today we want to talk about that the gospel is the model for marriage, right? Because it's important if you want to succeed in anything, you need to look at what you're trying to model your marriage after. Secondly, in order for models to succeed, in order for them to be fruitful, they have to function within the design of God. If we try to function in a different way than God created marriage, your marriage is going to be unhealthy. Your marriage is not going to point to Jesus. Your marriage is not going to be satisfying. We should be very satisfied in our marriages. People aren't married. Maybe you want to be single for the rest of your life. I don't want you to feel like less. That's awesome. If God's called you to that, awesome. But those people who want to be married, you should look forward to that. You should pray for that if that's something that you really feel called to and hunger for. There's nothing wrong with praying for a good marriage, a good husband, a good wife. Those are things that are gifts from God, and I want us to want that if God has called you to that. So what we're going to do, let's start with this text, Ephesians 5, 22 and 23. 22 through 33. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything, submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might, be, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So that's a heavy text. You throw that thing like a grenade into today's culture, right? Everyone's offended. What'd you just say? Some women decide you don't like me as a pastor, right? But what we want to do is realize that God has our best interest in mind, right? There's no one more loving, merciful, caring. He designed us. So when he gives us a text like this, he's doing this for our benefit. He's doing this for our benefit. And I want to lay this foundation first. If you've been through a divorce, if you've been through a rough relationship, if your marriage hasn't worked out, remember this message is not to condemn you. There's grace there. God's sovereign. He loves you. There's no condemnation. This is more a preventative measure and for people who are preparing for marriage. So I don't want anyone to feel condemnation about a past broken relationship or those kind of things. That's forgotten. That's covered by the blood of Jesus. The gospel is good. But what we do want to do is go forward and have healthy marriages, and look forward to marriage for those who um, are not married yet. So, if someone asked you and told you that a plane had a 50% chance of crashing, would you get on it? Listen, it's a better trip. You save some time. Everyone hates driving the road. I drove to North Conway this week with my family to go to Storyland. Let me tell you one thing. It was only five hours. 
everyone cracked at the end. Cracked. So we said, I'm going to take a plane because I don't want to have to deal with those things. But if they said to you, listen, you got a 50% chance of getting there. Listen, they tell me there's like a 0.1% chance that plane's going to crash, and I still have anxiety on a plane. Right? Marriages, 50% of them don't succeed. So know what a lot of people say? I ain't getting on that plane. Right? A lot of our model, the model we see growing up, so if you have 50% of marriages that fail, that means half of the kids in this country grow up in homes where the marriage didn't work out. Therefore, what do many children say to themselves? Some of you might have grown up in that situation. What do you say to yourself? I don't want to get on that plane. I see on how unhealthy marriage is. I see how detrimental it is. I see how destructive it is. And we get the wrong model because we look at sinful man and sinful woman and we see that it wasn't, it didn't have the foundation of the gospel and it failed. So many of us say, I don't want to get married because I don't want that kind of brokenness in our life, in my life. That's the wrong model to look at. You know, so I got sick once like eight years ago and we had free HBO, so I went on a soprano run. Anyone ever go on a Soprano run? I watched the Sopranos. I think I watched like 22 seasons in like Monday and Tuesday. And so what happened was I got so caught up with this dynamic between Tony Soprano and Carmela Soprano that I started thinking that was the model for marriage. Poor Natalie, I, I thought practically calling her Carmela by the time I ended watching this thing. So just because a marriage stays together, just because there is no, no divorce doesn't mean it's healthy. So six seasons to Soprano, Tony Carmella, I know this is fake. They stayed together. That does not mean that was a God-glorifying marriage. That does not mean that that was healthy. That does not mean people were looking to it and that was pointing them to the gospel. That was pointing them in another way. There was some unhealthy functionality within that marriage. Right? So what I want to say is throw those models out, those unhealthy models from sinful man, so some of us, and get a new model. The model of God's only son laying down his life for his bride, the church. Do you know that we are called as the church, the bride of Christ? The bride of Christ. And Jesus, as the husband, came to live a perfect life, to lay down his life sacrificially, to be murdered in order to save his bride. That's servant leadership. That's the kind of picture of um, marriage that we should have that model. Not some uber machismo, honey, get my shoes and tie them. It's let me lay down my life for my bride. Let me be the greatest servant, and, and we'll get to that. So I want us to hear this. The goal is both a lifetime commitment to each other, a lifetime of health, a lifetime of love, and a lifetime of reflecting the gospel. So something that was revolutionary to my marriage was when I started to understand the gospel. Now, I love Jesus. I follow Jesus. But I didn't get the, the grace of God. I didn't get the, that the gospel was undeserved. Therefore, I was very manipulative in my early years of marriage. And let me tell you why. If I felt like Natalie disrespected me or did something I didn't want to do or this kind of things, I had three ways to counterattack that. The silent treatment. All right, you want to act like that? My words are not for you. Shut down. Second way, I'm going to take a ride. You want to treat me like this in my own home? 
I got the keys, starting up the car. Right? Then you just punish them, just round in the lake. It's like they're paying now. They can't treat me like that. Right? The third thing was, I raised my voice. Because I said, you don't do this to me. And I'd raise my voice. Those all are manipulation tactics that will not bring health into your marriage. It wasn't until I understood that marriage has to be built on grace, just like the gospel is built on grace, to be healthy. Every day of my life, God's mercy is new in the morning. Every single day of my life. I get up in the morning, and God shows me mercy. I sin in attitude, thought, and action every day of my life. God has not forsaken me. He has not given me the silent treatment. He has not said that the cross is not for me. Constantly, vertically, Jesus shows me grace and will show me grace for all eternity. That's the foundation of our relationship. In order for God to be in relationship with us, he has to show us undeserved grace every day. If it was based on our works, which I believed it was till I was about 28, I thought it was based on our works, and I really thought I was better than everyone, and I deserved it most of the time. Most of the time I thought I was better, and I was one of the people who deserved salvation. And so you know what I did to other one, everyone else? If you didn't act like I wanted you to act, if you treated me wrong, I shut you off. I was manipulative, and I was no longer in relationship with you. The gospel of grace comes into the marriage, and all of a sudden, I am allowed to take what God does to me vertically, like John Piper, Pastor John Piper says this, and I'm allowed to put it horizontally to my wife or to my husband. Not my husband. The wife's husband. You know. But we're able to put it to our spouse horizontally. We're able to care for them and love them. Now, I'm not shutting you down when you do me wrong. I'm saying, what a way where I can apply the gospel. Because I realize how much I've been forgiven for. Does that make sense to everyone? If your marriage is based on works, it will not succeed. Because you're going to hurt each other. You're going to disrespect each other. You're going to be selfish. And when those things happen, things aren't healthy. But when there's forgiveness, when there's grace, when there's love, where there is the gospel, the marriage will succeed. The marriage will succeed. Remember, our definition of marriage is not, um, success in a marriage is not just staying together. Because unhealthy people stay together. It's that your marriage is bringing glory to the gospel. You build it on anything else, it will crumble. So, we have to ask ourselves, the model is the marriage. Therefore, how do we function? What did scripture just say? How do we function within that marriage? Healthy marriages happen when the husband takes the responsibility and becomes the leader and head of that family. Do you guys hear that? You won't hear that in culture because it offends everybody. And it shouldn't. I understand that. So men today drive me crazy. They're like kids to the 45. Dress like kids, act like kids, don't take responsibility. What happened to 18 years old, young man? I don't even know what happened. That's why our country became great. That's why our families became great. Because when guys said, I'm a man now. When I was 18, you know what happened? I said, I'm a man. I got to stop being a child. I got to take responsibility and work. I got to provide and I got to get ready to have a family. Here we are. Guys that aren't even ready to be in marriages because they're so, I don't want to go on too much of a rant, but I'm concerned with two daughters. I'm glad we're in church culture because I know there are some men being raised in responsibility to be leaders. 
Because out in that culture now, there's a bunch of grown men who are just boys, and they're ruining our culture. They're ruining our culture. God calls men to lead. And who are men called to emulate? Jesus. This is who men are called to emulate in the situation. I want you to see this. Men are called to love their bride, the church. And we'll get to women and wives after this. They're called to imitate Jesus. Now, reason some people have a problem with that is because when they think of leadership, they think of dominance and aggressiveness and abuse. Because that's what sinful leadership is, right? Like, I don't want it. I don't want this person in charge. They're going to make me do all these things I don't want to like. They're going to abuse me. They're going to disrespect me. That's sinful leadership. That happens in corporate America every day. That happens in abusive relationships. That happens in unhealthy relationships. I'm not talking about sinful, domineering, aggressive, uber, machismo kind of leadership. I'm talking about Jesus kind of leadership. I'm talking about what woman, what wife wouldn't want a man that said, I'm going to be the greatest servant in my home. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. What do you mean? You're God. What do you mean? You're the eternal one. What do you mean we should be serving you? No, no. I came to wash your feet. Husbands should be the biggest servants in their home. And we'll get to the gospel um, assignment today. Every man needs to ask yourself and you need to ask your wife, do you see me as the biggest servant in my home? Am I acting like Jesus? You see me laying down your life. What does it say? Lay down your life for your wife in that text. Just like Jesus laid down his life for theirs. Nourish and cherish her as if your own, she was your own body. That's servant leadership. So I do premarital counseling. Let me tell you, when we get to this text, people come in angry. I'm like, here we go. We got to talk about roles and functions in marriage. There's always some notes on the side and someone's a little upset. Like, listen, we got some stuff to talk about tonight. Do you know what happens when we really go over what the scriptures are saying about leadership? People leave with joy and say, who wouldn't want to function in that kind of marriage? You know, men and women are created equal in value and worth fully, but different in role and distinction. And what marriage wouldn't want a husband laying down his life and be the leader that took all the hits for the family that's like Jesus took all the hits? Who wouldn't want that? So let's start there. Secondly, the husband has to be the leader theologically. It is a sad time when people know more football stats than they know their Bible. It is a sad time when people know more about fantasy basketball than they know about their Bible. Our f- families will not be healthy if our men and husbands don't get into the Word of God. It's not going to happen. The pastor or pastor should not be the only ones who are theologically sound. The men should be theologically sound. The women should be theologically sound. But the men, in order to lead their families, have to know their Bible. All that other stuff is fading away. You want to know the Word of God to be able to teach and protect and provide for your family. You've got to be in that Word every day. You've got to be hungry for the Word of God and able to teach your family. It will guard your family. It will guard your wife. And I'll just give you two ways. So we talked about generosity last week. We talked about money. Do you know the number one reason people fight in marriages? Money. Do you know the number one reason people divorce in marriages? Money. So that's a serious topic. And I'm not saying me and Natalie, we need God's grace. But let me tell you one thing, honestly. We've never fought about money. Not one time. Do you know why we never fought about money? Because when we started the marriage, I as a husband said, the first fruit of everything we go, 10% and up, is to God. And you know what? 
theologically soundness of my mind said 10% and up is going to God. Therefore, it says the righteous will never be begging for bread. So we don't have to worry about house, shelter, food. It says, seek ye the first the kingdom of God and he will provide everything. I laid the foundation in money so there'd be no fights with money because my wife knew God was always going to provide for us. You know where we are 12 years later? God always provides for us. Now, the center of your marriage is money. That foundation is going to shatter because it's a fantasy anyways. It's going to shatter. But when you start with, this is theologically sound. This is what God says to do with my money. To care for his church and care for his kingdom and worship through offering. Your family isn't going to fight about money. Because you as the man have led your family. And your wife has lovingly said, you know what? I trust God. Is that what a good husband does? He doesn't say, just trust me. He says, trust me because I'm trusting God. And your family will be sound. The second thing that men feel terribly because they're not theologically sound. I have men who say, the Bible says that. I told someone one time, I said, do you know it says that you should not forsake the gathering of the church? Because you know, people out there, I am the walking church. Where I go, the church is present. Get your membership. That is nothing theologically sound about that. There is nothing theologically sound about that. The scriptures say very clearly in Hebrews that some people were forsaken the gathering said it was wrong, and says, do not act like those people. Gather with the people of God under pastor's leadership with his communion and baptism and given financially so you can mobilize yourself to advance the gospel. So any husband who knows theologically is not going to make statements and make other things preferences over gathering with the people of God, so he's going to lead his family in that. I've been pastoring for a while now, and most of the time the husband gets dragged to church. By the time you convinced him not to golf and not to waste his life on fantasy football, he comes in like, I just want to make my wife happy. I'm getting serious. When men do that, when men lead like that, your families will suffer. Your families will suffer. But when you say, listen, God says, first and foremost, above everything, my family should be involved in participating in the mission of God, in the church of God. Your family will thrive. Your kids will thrive. Your wife will thrive. This is important stuff. So see how theology matters, knowing that? First thing, husbands, you're a servant leader, modeled after Jesus. Second thing, you have to be theologically sound. Because you know what we are prone to do as husbands? Our biggest sin we're prone to, and our great-great-granddaddy Adam was prone to the sin, to abdicate our role of leadership. We want to abandon our leadership. Did anyone look at the story of Adam and Eve when God created the first two human beings, man and woman? If you realize Satan, who did he speak to first? Eve. He spoke to the woman. What did he try to confuse her with? He tried to theologically confuse her, meaning the study of God and what God has said and what it really means. He said, did God really say not to eat from this tree? And she said, yeah, you know, there's a conversation going on. He only doesn't want you to eat from that tree because you'll be like him. So Eve gets theologically confused. She gets deceived. She gets deceived, and she eats from that tree. Where was Adam? Ask yourself. Right next to her. Right next to her. Now, what should Adam have done? What should he have done? He should have said, listen, that is not theologically sound. That is not according to the word of God. Eve, you have to hear this. This is not true. And guarded his wife and guarded us so we don't have to live in this broken world, right? If he theologically protected his family, knew the scriptures and stood up, instead of abdicating, he would have guarded his wife against the deception of the enemy. And do you see the consequences of that? So men, 
Do not give into your souls, your sinful natures. You are prone to want to abdicate your leadership. You are prone to want to have your wife be the spiritual leader. Master and control that for the glory of God, saying, no, I'm not abdicating my role. My wife is not going to know the scriptures better than me. My wife is not going to pray with the kids more than me. My wife is not going to bring me to church more than me. My wife is not going to encourage me generous, and I say no again. No, no, no. I am the leader. I'm stepping in, and this family will stand for God. As for me and my house, will serve the Lord, right? Powerful, powerful stuff. That stuff changes the world because it's the truth of God. Secondly, the woman's role in a relationship, that she is called to be the helper who comes alongside the man as the leader. Now, some people hear wrongly and say, what do you mean the helper? Does that mean I'm not equal? Women, hear me today. You are absolutely equal in value and worth before God. Absolutely equality. But men and women are different in role and distinction. God has designed us differently so we can function together for the glory of God and point to the gospel. So I want you to hear this. I wrote this down because I thought it was nice. Woman was made to show different elements of God's nature. So I want you to see the beauty in this. She would display beauty in a way a man could never display beauty. So God in all his characteristics, he chose to make man and woman equal. But he chose man to reflect something of God's nature and woman to reflect something else of God's nature. One of the things women display among many things of God's nature is beauty and elegance and purity and all these kind of things. She would have been able to nurture in a way a man could never nurture. Women were made to nurture in a way a man can never nurture. What? A calling. Women were made to have children in a way man can never have children. I mean, that's a gift. That's a gift to have another image bearer of God in your body that you birth into the world, given testimony that life is worth it and God is worth it and reproduces and multiplies love in his nature and displays it throughout all the earth. Woman was made in God's image just like a man. So I want you guys to hear that first. But she's different in role and distinction. You know what women are prone to sin in, just like man prone to abdicate? They want to be in the leader. And I'll just give you some scripture. Genesis 3.16. One of the curses because Eve sinned. So Satan got a curse. Adam got a curse because the head of household went to him first. And Eve got a curse. In Genesis 3.16, it says, you will desire the rule over your husband. I'm paraphrasing that. Women, wives, there's something in your nature where you want to be the leader. And I wanted to tell you that is detrimental to your marriage and you don't have to give in to that sinful desire. And when you do give in to that sinful desire, it hurts your marriage, your relationship, and your home. You guys hear me on that? There's something in there that you want to stay away from. So Natalie is very sinful too. I'm very sinful. But one of the things she's always said is, I'm glad you're the leader. I don't have to deal with that stuff. She says, well, I want you to be the leader. I love that idea you being leader. Because you have to take all the responsibility. I have to answer to God for my family. I have to lead it theologically. She says, I love the leader. One of the things she does beautifully is she constantly reminds me and says, thank you for leading our household to God. Thank you for leading us well. Thank you for caring in that kind of way. You know what that does to me as a man? 
I want to lead better. I'm all puffed up. I feel like I'm at least 5'9". <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what that does to me. It's just a beautiful thing. Because when you're warring at each other for that role, and you're saying, I want to be the leader. No, I want to be the leader. It's, it's just detrimental to the marriage. Now, does this mean that women shouldn't be involved in the decision-making? They shouldn't play a vital part? I don't make any vital decisions without my wife. I just don't. That's not how a healthy leader leads. I said it. We're doing it. You know it's in charge. Submit, woman. That doesn't happen. I know no one loves me besides Jesus more than my wife loves me. I know that no one's going to be affected more by my decisions than my wife. I thought no one's more for me than my wife. So, of course, every decision we make, we talk through. I'm not saying I'm the leader. I know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing half the time. I need the counsel of my helper. I need the counsel who's equal to me and made specific for me to compliment me and help complete me so our family can be fruitful. Every decision we make together. But she allows me to lead the decision-making. That's very important. And she trusts me. If we get to a place where she's afraid and says, I'm not sure, but I trust you. She says, I trust you. I know you're seeking God. You want the best of this family. So I might not agree with you, but I trust you in the decision because I know you're seeking God first and that it's built on the gospel. That's very important. So women, wives, your function in the marriage is you're just like the church is to Jesus. Just like the church is to Jesus. It says the men should emulate Jesus and the women should emulate the church. The church adores Jesus. The church loves Jesus. The church respects Jesus. And so these are a few things, just pointers, and um, I want to give you about men and how we're wired. We're kind of strange beings. And so I want you to hear an important thing. Because a woman, a man's wife, should be the number one praise fan for him. And just as a man should be encouraged and speaking things into the, the woman's life, Men are made so when their wives praise them, they're just like, I'm a man, I'm doing good things, I'm changing the world, I'm loving people, this is awesome. So wives are called to praise the husband, not in a God-like way, let's not get strange here, but in a husband-like way, to praise them for their manhood, just like men should adore their wives for their womanhood. So the first thing I would give you as encouragement, wives, because it says women should respect their husbands, Men really feel respected when you praise them for their work, right? When you praise them for their work. So every man has a vocation. God made us to be stewards, so we love to make things fruitful. And we want to feel like what we do is valuable. So when you say, whether your husband's a mailman or a neurosurgeon or whatever he does, when you say, man, you are doing your job good. You are doing your job good. You are providing for this family. I love the way you do your job. That is going to make him feel like a man and make him more fruitful and healthy in the marriage. Secondly, I don't know if this is just me, but men like to feel like they're strong. I don't care if you can just carry the groceries. Men want to feel like they're strong. Now, I have issues with that because maybe I have a short man syndrome and, you know, I feel like if I get mad, I can take anybody. We were watching UFC when I was younger. Me and Natalie like UFC. I don't know. Don't judge us. So watching UFC, and she made the mistake of saying, these guys will kill you. Do you know what that says to a man? I don't care if it's true. 
I can't hear that as a man. I start going like, how dare you disrespect me like that? You don't know my history. I'll bust a brother up. For some reason, we're men. Don't ever tell us someone is stronger than us. I don't care if it's true. But the truth is, they bust me up. But part of me still a little bit thinks I get that Holy Spirit inspired shot in there and drop them. Make your husband feel strong. I don't care what he does. If he's bringing those groceries in, man, you are strong. That matters to a man. We're made like that. We're made like that. Finally, praise a man for his intellect. Never make a man feel inferior intellectually. It's important that you praise your husband for the way his mind works. It's important you never say detrimental marks ever that he was dumb or didn't have good ideas. It's important that you praise your husband for your intellect. And the reason I'm saying those is because the text is saying respect your husband. And I just wanted to give you some helpful tips for manhood and how we work. That would be helpful for a man to really feel respected. So when we have the model of marriage, when we have a husband servant leader and a wife equally coming along to help, what do you have there? You have something so powerful. Now I just want to say, this, just so I don't forget, women, you have so much power in your marriage. When you love and respect and care and cherish your husband, your marriages are going to be powerful in pointing to Jesus. That's a lot of power God's given you. That's a lot of power. It, that stuff changes the world. That stuff changes marriages. So we're functioning as a servant leader. We're functioning as a helper equally. We're displaying the image of God and displaying the gospel. You know how healthy it is for people to see healthy marriages right now? People long to see that. They long to see couples staying together and loving Jesus and caring. And those kind of things are very powerful. So here are your gospel assignment in closing. Those who are husbands and those who are wives, I want you guys to have a meeting this week. And don't say we'll do it in a few weeks because you'll never do it. Take time this week and sit down. Husbands, I want you to ask your wife these questions. There's three of them. I want you to ask your wife, do you feel like I'm taking responsibility in leading you to Jesus? You've got to be honest, too. Be transparent. Be honest with each other because that brings help. Husbands, ask your wife, do you feel like I'm leading you to Jesus? Am I taking responsibility? Secondly, Husbands, ask your wife, do you think I'm leading you theologically? Am I leading you in the Bible? Am I leading you to understand Scripture? And thirdly, do you see me as the lead servant of this home? Ask your wife honestly, am I the greatest servant in this home? Ask her and be ready for the answer. Wives, please ask your husbands this. Do you feel as though I respect you? And be ready for the answer honestly. Do you feel respected? Do you feel praised and encouraged by me, wives? Ask your husband. Do you feel like I'm a source of strength to you, that you feel encouraged and loved and cared for? And finally, do you view me as a good helper? Do you view me and, and take joy in the fact that I come alongside of you and I work equally with you to make this marriage a success and to make it happy and satisfying? And the last question I want you both to ask each other, does my our marriage point to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Then have a time of prayer. Really ask each other all those things. You might want to repent. You might want to thank God for where he sanctified you and all those kind of things. And pray to God. Ask that you grow in grace. Ask that you grow in love. Ask that you grow in reflection of the gospel. And so there's a lot of things I couldn't, because I only can preach so long. There's some things I couldn't hit. This is a very detailed topic. So there's only certain things I could hit. So I want you to know in the coming months, I'll write a few blogs that are helpful for the church on these subjects, because I wasn't able to hit them in depth, because I'm sure there's many questions 
after something like this. The first is, husbands might be saying, how do I grow theologically? What does that look like? I know God created the earth and Jesus died for us, but after that, man, I'm lost. I want to write a nice blog to, to get laid a foundation for you who want to really grow theologically. Second, what does unhealthy and healthy submission look like in a marriage? I don't want any wives to hear that you are submitting on unhealthy and abusive relationships. So I want to blog because you don't want this to be abused. Because some people use the Bible to abuse people in relationships. And that's not what we're saying here. So I want to write a healthy blog so we can know theologically how to think through what's healthy submission and what is unhealthy submission. The third thing is, how do I function in a gospel-centered way if my husband or my wife is not a follower of Jesus? Right? Because the Bible says if you're married to unbelievers, to stay with them. So how do you function inside of that and still glorify God in that situation? I want to write something inside that. And, and something I get, didn't get to hit today because the text didn't really push it that way was, I want to talk, I'm going to write a blog about ways husbands can make their wives feel cherished. So I want you guys to hear that. I wasn't able to do that because of time today, but I will write some ways husbands we should regularly be making our wives feel treasured as image bearers of God. Restoration Road. I love as we continue to grow as a church that our marriages are marked by the gospel, that they're happy, that they're loving, that they're sacrificial, that husbands are leading like Jesus and wives are loving like the church and we'll all bring glory to God. Amen.